Mark chapter 3, beginning at verse number 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him, and wherever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon, the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you this morning to subdue the work of the enemy in our hearts. Lord, I need you. I pray that my voice would fade to a faint whisper so that the voice of Christ might roar from his sacred word this morning through the power of his spirit to our hearts. For his glory I pray. Amen. You may be seated. In the fall of uh, 1781, General George Washington led the Continental Army against the British at the Battle of Yorktown in what would be the final battle of the American Revolutionary War. And on October 19, 1781, the commander of the British forces, Lord Charles Cornwallis, sent his second in command to surrender the battle and essentially the entire war to George Washington because he was too embarrassed to go himself. Cornwallis would return to England in defeat and later become the man known as the man who lost America. But even though Yorktown was the decisive victory, most of the war was a series of defeats, victories, and ongoing retreats for the Continental Army. And the historians of the Revolutionary War, also known as the American War for Independence, credit our nation's unlikely victory 
to George Washington's keen military patience and skill, especially his knowing when to press on in battle and when to retreat. See, it takes wisdom to know when to retreat and wisdom to know that retreat is not the same as surrender. And in our text today, we see the Lord Jesus himself employ a similar strategy of retreat. Things had started to heat up, and he knew it was time to get away. In fact, the ministry of Christ, really going forward, would be characterized by frequent controversy and chaos. And Jesus knew, in his divine wisdom, exactly when to retreat. In John 10, the Jews wanted to arrest and stone him. But John says in John 10, 39, that Jesus escaped from their hands. Luke 6 tells of an occasion when those in the synagogue sought to throw Jesus off of a cliff after he had just read from the scroll of Isaiah. But Luke, in Luke 6, 30 says, But passing through their mist, he went away. Again, in yet another conflict with the Jews in John chapter 8, when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And friends, if you want to get the first century religious community riled up, say something like that. They were so angry that they tried to stone him. But John 8, 59 says that Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. You see, Jesus was aware of his ultimate mission, and so he frequently retreated from controversy and the chaos around him until that hour had come for him to set his face toward Calvary and fulfill God's redemptive purpose. And friends, if you feel defeated this morning or threatened, by some controversy or chaos in your life, and and certainly everything that's going on out there, then maybe it's time to retreat to Christ. A true shelter in a time of storm. Christ offers us something that an underground bunker could never offer us. True security. And I want us to work through this passage together and use the three main headings that are in your bulletin insert. And I want us to note, first of all, the controversy of the Pharisees. The controversy of the Pharisees. If you look back to verse 6 of Mark 3, he says, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, against Christ, how to destroy him. Jesus, verse 7, withdrew with his disciples to the sea. He's retreating. Christ began his ministry with a series of claims. The kind of claims we've seen so far in our study of the Gospel of Mark. Claims like the authority to forgive sin and to be the Lord over the Sabbath. These are all claims of divinity. Opposition against Christ was growing and it was primarily coming from the religious leaders. 
You see, the character, the authoritative character of Christ challenged the religious status quo. He was a threat to their power over the people. His message and ministry brought freedom from legalistic oppression of man-made traditions and rules, and they rejected him for it. And you know, don't we see the same thing happening before our very eyes in our time in the American church today? It is the religious leaders of our day who are opposing the truth. I'm not talking about opposing Trump. I'm talking about opposing the truth and leading the church astray. They are the ones writing the articles dismissing the pastors and Christians who actually stand on the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture as the only answer to what ails our sick world. And if you dare express a dissenting opinion, then you you are part of the problem. Now, I, want you to rem- I don't want you to think about this in political terms. I'm not talking about all that. I'm talking about the compromise that we see happening inside the church of Jesus Christ. Friends, it was the evangelical leaders who led the criticism of John MacArthur last summer when he opened his church back up in the middle of this politically weaponized pandemic. If you want to draw intense criticism from within the American church in 2021, just challenge the evangelical status quo. How dare anyone suggest that churches shouldn't close their doors while Planned Parenthood stays open? Or that Christians shouldn't join the woke social justice bandwagon just like everyone else has, that maybe we, maybe we should see these things from a different perspective, or that we shouldn't compromise with evolution in millions of years, or that we shouldn't be sending our precious children to government schools where they will be taught that millions of years lie and be boldly indoctrinated with far worse, including gender-inclusive ideology. This past Monday, I don't know if you saw this or not. This past Monday, the New Jersey State Assembly passed a bill and sent it to Governor Murphy's desk where it will be signed. It may have have already been signed. I don't know. This bill will require gender-inclusive curriculum to be taught in New Jersey public schools, beginning at the kindergarten level. This is straight out of Bill A4454. Please bear with me. This is going to hurt. Beginning in 2021, the 2021-2022 school year, Each school district shall incorporate instruction on diversity and inclusion into an appropriate place 
in the curriculum for all students in grades kindergarten through 12 as part of the district's implementation of the New Jersey Student Learning Standards in Comprehensive Health and Physical Education. The instruction shall highlight and promote diversity, including economic diversity, equity, inclusion, tolerance, and belonging on topics including in connection with gender and sexual orientation, race and ethnicity, disabilities, and religious tolerance. And, get this, unconscious bias. And examine the impact that unconscious bias and economic disparities have at both an individual level and on society as a whole and encourage safe, welcoming and inclusive environments for all students regardless of race or ethnicity, sexual and gender identities, mental and physical disabilities and religious beliefs. The Commissioner of Education shall provide school districts with sample learning activities and resources designed to promote diversity and inclusion. This act shall take effect immediately. The biblical worldview that we are supposed to be instilling in our children is not compatible with the kind of stuff in Bill A4454. Add to that the negative influence of, the, of their peer group whose parents most certainly aren't teaching them to think, believe, and see the world through biblical lenses. And friends, it should be clear to us that the government school is a clear and present danger to the young hearts and minds of our children. I know we have families in here who send their kids to public schools. I say this because I love you. I love your children. I know it is hard. It is hard. Find a way. Make it work somehow. Get them out of these temples of atheism. Get them out. But the state of the American church is such in our day that the majority of the criticism I will face for saying this will come from Christians who should be saying amen. But that should not surprise us. Because what do we see here in Mark 3? Jesus faced his greatest controversy and criticism from within his own religious community. If you look down at verse 21, even from his own family, verse 21 says they, they tried to seize him because he was out of his mind. If only Jesus had just kept silent about all his crazy beliefs, like being able to forgive sin or being Lord over the Sabbath, and if he had just stayed in sync with the rabbinic status quo, there would have been no controversy. There would have been no reason to try to throw him off of a cliff or stone him. But Jesus, who is the truth, could only speak the truth. And when the heat turned up, he withdrew from the controversy of the Pharisees. And so the next thing that we see in our passage
is the chaos of the crowds. He goes from controversy to crowded chaos. Verse 7, a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd lest they crush him. He, he told him. he said, now, this is before the calling of the twelve. This is a, a larger group of disciples. He said, Let, we need to have an escape plan. Come to think of it, I might need one this morning. He said, we need to have an escape plan. Verse 10, for he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him, And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. You see, Jesus demonstrated his divine power through a multitude of spectacular healings and exorcisms. We've already seen several of them in our study of the Gospel of Mark so far. Word was spreading throughout the extended region beyond Galilee that this rabbi... This, ra- this rabbi from Nazareth was something special. He was unique. He, he was unlike the other false messiahs before him because Jesus backed up his authoritative claims with authoritative demonstrations of power. And even all of Satan's hellish horde was scared to death of him. The, the word says they fell down before him. But as in our day, power produces popularity. And everywhere Jesus went, he was followed by a great crowd. But who who was in the crowds that always followed Christ? No doubt his religious opponents were there. I mean, they were in the synagogue. Of course, they're going to be in the crowds. Skeptics were there. The needy. The sick were there. The curious were there. And I wonder, friends, where would we find ourselves in this great crowd? Would we be the skeptics? The opposition? The needy? The curious? Would we be like the disciples who were there to know and follow Jesus? For those who just wanted to see what he could do for us. Do we come to Christ for the benefit of his blessing or for the glory of his person? The false miracle workers of our day like Benny Hinn and others can fill coliseums with people looking for a blessing. Even people desperate for a blessing. Desperate for a healing. But churches where the authentic gospel is preached without all the bells and whistles of concert quality music and lights and sound systems that work and videos that work, we struggle to fill our pews because in our fallen sinfulness, we are attracted to the spectacular and what we believe can benefit us the most, just like the crowds here in this text. 
But Jesus knew better. John 2, verse 23. When Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in His name when they saw the signs that He was doing. But Jesus, on His part, this is what John says in verse 24 of John 2, Jesus, on His part, did not entrust Himself to them because He knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Friends, Jesus knows what is in us this morning. Oh, he knows. His holy gaze pierces the deepest, darkest part of our hearts, where we hide our most precious and personal secrets. And before Him we are wholly exposed, naked before His sight. He knows why we are here. Is it to see the spectacular? Probably not at this church. Is it to merit some righteousness by checking off the I went to church today box. Is it to have a place to assert our own personal preferences in a church community? Or have we come before Jesus today to marvel at His grace, (laughs) to stand amazed in the presence of Jesus of Galilee, Is that why we are here? To see our lives transformed by His Word, to see our families transformed by His Word, as we gaze upon His image in it. Oh friends, that is why we need to be here. His person. And he gets on the boat, and he tells his disciples to get for him. And now, just like he withdrew from the controversy of the Pharisees, he withdraws from the chaos of the crowds. Because it was time for his ministry to take a very important turn. And so lastly, we see in this passage the calling of the disciples. Verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and called to, called to him, called to himself, those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that, so that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, the sons of thunder. These are hot-tempered men. That's what that means there in the Greek. Loud, hot-tempered men. Verse 18, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot 
and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Mark says he went up on the mountain, but Luke adds a very important detail. These synoptic writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they complement each other, not never contradict each other. Luke adds in Luke 6, verse 12, that Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. He withdrew from the chaos of the crowd to get along with his father and pray because on the next day he would do this. He would establish the apostolic foundation of the new covenant community. And so after a night of prayer, he called to himself 12 men whom he would commission to go out in his name and preach his gospel, not their own. Oh, friends, there are some life-changing lessons for us in this very ordinary list of names in Mark 3. First of all, there is something here of a picture of the sweet doctrine of election. That God in Christ, of His own purpose and grace, chooses, as Mark says in verse 13, those whom He desires. Or as the King James Version says, those whom He would. Brothers and sisters, there is scarcely anything in the Bible that produces more protest from the heart of man than the doctrine of election. You see, we have no problem limiting the sovereignty of God so as to preserve the freedom of man. But the second you suggest that God is sovereign over man's free choice, everyone loses their mind. But I want to appeal to you this morning, brothers and sisters, like I learned many years ago in a long, hard-fought battle against the Scripture to see in the doctrine of election not some arbitrary injustice in God. Well, why did He choose Him and not me? Well, the crowds could have said the same thing out of even the mass of disciples that He had. Well, why choose Him and not me, Jesus? Don't see in this sweet doctrine some arbitrary injustice in God. See His goodness. His mercy, His free love to save sinners like you and me who apart, this is the key, apart from the effectual calling of His grace would never turn from sin and self to trust in Christ. We would never do it. Friends, the electing grace of God is the only reason the doors of this church are open this morning. It is the only reason that any of us in our natural born fallenness see the beauty of a beaten, bloody man nailed to a cross in naked shame and say, yes, I believe. It is God's electing grace that does that. Not human wisdom. Friends, this doctrine is glorious. It is an anchor for us in times of storm. And out of this crowded mass of chaos, Jesus chose for himself twelve men. 
not to go and hide in their homes while the world around them dies, but to be ambassadors of his gospel. Look at verse 14. And he appointed twelve, and whom he also named apostles, so that they might what? Number one, be with him. And number two, he might send them out to preach. And here we find, friends, the true purpose-driven life. This is it. You don't have to write a book 200 pages thick to find the purpose-driven life. It's right here. To be in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and to go out and to spread His fame around the world. Friends, the list always starts with Simon Peter. And it always ends with Judas. Judas Iscariot. Think of it this way. Both of these men, Simon and Judas, betrayed Jesus. But one (laughs) would run back to Christ in sorrowful repentance. And the other would run away from Christ in suicidal guilt. And there is both grace and warning here. It is not enough to just be around Jesus, but still living with our own agenda like Judas Iscariot. We must live in submission to Christ. We must treasure Him above all things. And yes, though we fail daily, and you and I deny Christ in thought, in word, in deed, He calls us back to Himself and restores us by His grace, just as He did with Simon Peter. But with the exception of a few of the other names, the other disciples that have an ongoing prominent role in the New Testament record, we know very little about the impact most of them had as the foundational apostles of the New Covenant people of God. Some things in church history that many consider to be legendary, but we really have no definitive history of most of their names and what they did. And friends, that is good news for us this morning. Because it means that God uses ordinary and unknown people like you and me to build His great kingdom here on earth. And that is exactly who we are and that is exactly what God is doing. Friends, I want to appeal to you this morning. Do not be distracted by the objections of your heart to what I have preached from this text. I want to appeal to you to find yourself here in these verses but not among the controversial Pharisees who opposed Jesus or among the chaotic crowds who only wanted him for what he could do for them. And here's the the sad thing. Jesus didn't reject the crowds. Mark said he he healed all of them. He healed people all the time who he knew were coming to Him only for His touch. And when He hung on Calvary's cross, 
He was alone, with the exception of John and a few other women. Where were the crowds at Calvary? Peter was not even there. Don't find yourself among the crowds. Find yourself here in this text among the undeserving disciples who were called by the free grace of Jesus upon that mountain away from the Pharisees, away from the crowds to be with him and go in his name. Do you hear Christ calling you to himself this morning in the free offer of the gospel? Friends, I'm not looking up anybody's shirt to see if there's a big E on your back. My concern is not whether you believe in election or think yourself elect. My concern is to preach the free offer of the gospel so that whosoever will turn from their sin, turn from their, their self, their self-righteousness, and flee to Christ, fall on His mercy and grace. You feel that this morning? Do you hear Christ in His grace, calling you, friend, turn to Him in repentance and faith. There are some, perhaps, in this room who have heard the Word of God preached from this pulpit for decades, and you still stay in stubbornness. Give it up. Run to Calvary. Turn to Christ in repentance. Do you feel the sting of Holy Spirit conviction? I do. I am preaching first and foremost every Sunday to this wretched heart. So I tell myself to flee to Christ. And that's what I'm telling you. Do you feel, do you feel offense at the things that I have said this morning, friend, forget about me and flee to Christ. Do you feel indifferent to the message of this text this morning? You feel indifferent. You just, you don't care. Oh, you most of all flee to Christ this morning. Turn away from sin. Turn away from self-reliance. Retreat from whatever controversy and chaos is in your life and be hidden in Christ, the one rock in a weary land and the true shelter in the time of storm. Let's pray. Lord, your, your Spirit woos us so that we cannot resist. And for those, Lord, here who persist in their stubbornness, may this be the day that they look past the fallible words of a preacher who is nothing more than just hired help and see the truth of Christ.
and not just to have this sort of nebulous idea of, yes, I am a Christian, I believe God's Word, but to know that God's Word has implications, it has applications. It means things for our lives, for how we live, for choices that we make. For those who want to run away from this, I pray that the effectual draw of your Holy Spirit would yank them back to the cross of Calvary. Lord, we pray for those who are unbelievers, but do we really believe that you are sovereign enough to overcome their stubborn unbelief and grant them repentance and breathe by your Holy Spirit new regenerating life into their dead heart? I believe that this morning. If I did not, I would not be here saying these things. And so the power is in your word. It is not by might nor by power, but by your spirit alone. And so God, come among us as we sing, All I have is Christ, and may it be the anthem of every heart in this room, that we would, we would strip ourselves of every ounce of righteousness that is not his. Oh God, we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his glory alone. Amen.